0: Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles, That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in every week and watching as we continually unpack, I think, many series that are so powerfully life-changing. And I don't take that for granted. So thank you for spending your time to do this, whether you're watching it on demand, or you're watching it via uh, television when we are airing it. Uh, I want to just say to you that uh, uh, we're in the middle of a series that we're doing on the book of John. And uh, we just began dealing with a few things uh, about three weeks ago. We've done three programs on John 1 and we did four on John 1 and we've done three since then on John chapter 2. We're going to try to conclude our remarks with John 2 Uh, perhaps in this series, if possible. But as we get into this, there's stuff that I continue to build that if you missed any of it, I really, really encourage you to go back and watch them again, uh, because everything we have aired to date is archived on YouTube. And uh, uh, amazingly enough, we've aired over 500 programs since uh, we've been on air in 2010 and uh so God has been fully faithful to us and uh but that they are all there, and they are archived if you'd like to follow our teachings and uh you say well i don't i i don't have uh YouTube, but you can uh, but I have an iphone well you can you can literally listen to us on our podcast there's an iTunes uh podcast there, and uh you can go and listen to the audio portions of this and 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 listen to it again while you're mowing the lawn you're on your way to work just redeeming time. There's an RSS feed also for Android devices. If you don't have either uh, the, you know, the iTunes, you can get it for your Android device. So that is so. there are many different ways. Uh, we've been sharing from John's Gospel, Chapter 2, and we finished last week with uh, uh, the wedding at Cana and turning the water into wine. And I want to pick up again this week and just read down through here a little bit. Uh, we finished, I think, pretty much the water into wine And I want us to go down uh, verse 12, we'll just start there, that way we don't have to go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 2. It says, After this he he went down to Capernaum, after the miracle of the uh, water to wine, and the the miracle at the wedding of Cana, he and his mother and his brethren and his disciples, and they continued there not many days. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of the money sent. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou raise it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body, when therefore He was risen from the dead. His disciples remembered that He had said these things unto them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover, in the feast day, many believed in His name when they saw the miracles which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself unto them, because He knew all men, and He needed not that any should testify of man, for He knew what was in them. Now uh, the first thing I I guess I would grab, there's so much here, uh, but the first thing I would grab is again, this is a confirmation, this end of this chapter is a confirmation of what i taught you in the prior three segments of our teaching on the program, and that is everything about this book of John is shifting you to see what used to be a natural understanding to a spiritual dimension. In other words, under the the Mosaic Covenant, it was a physical, natural interpretation. In the New Covenant, it is a spiritual one. In other words, under Moses, there was a physical, literal barnyard creature called a lamb that was slain for the sacrifice of sin. But in the New Covenant, it's Jesus who is the real Lamb of God in the Old Covenant it was a literal physical building called the temple, and now Jesus is trying to get them to think outside of this paradigm and see this as the temple of God that was His body. In other words, He's shifting, but because their carnal minds cannot grasp this, this will be one of the accusations that they will use to accuse Him And they will say, he said he would destroy this temple. He didn't say that at all. He said, you destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up again. And their carnal mind went out of the safety zone. Who does this man think he is that he could, we we spent 46 years building this temple, and he's going to raise it back up in three days? But he was not talking in the natural he was talking in the spiritual that the temple that he's really interested in is not a physical building anywhere, it is the temple called His body. And that's one of the things He will also declare to the Samaritan woman as we get on into the book of John. He will say to her, your people say we need to worship God in this mountain, and we say you need to worship God in this mountain. But I say to you that the hour is coming when neither in this mountain, nor in this mountain, but all that worship Me will worship Me in spirit and in truth. And I believe that if we can grasp what he's saying, that we are, that not only was he speaking of his physical body, but by extension we are the body of Christ and the temple of God that he indwells. And uh, you know, one of the things I want you to see is he's walking into this system again. Now this is, the, he's just begun his miracle ministry. He just did a wedding at Cana. He just showed them, this is a picture of my wedding, that the wedding, he just showed them a new way of purification. He just showed them, in other words, everything is shifting from the physical, natural to the spiritual. And once again, the whole setting here is it is the feast of Passover. But a better Passover lamb is now on the scene. But what has happened to this system of religion that was so by now toxic? They were selling, what these people would do would come to the feast of Passover and they would, because of their long journeys or because uh, whatever reason, they would come and either purchase their sacrifices here, or they would bring their sacrifice or their lamb which they had raised, and when they come to the temple, the temple leaders would say, well your sacrifice is not good enough, but here, we'll sell you a better sacrifice. In other words, you just aren't good enough, so you're just going to have to buy your way into this. And I think if there's anything that probably makes God angry, it's religious people who will take the gospel and use it to fleece God's sheep. It will be, I, I think if there's anything that in this hour that God wants to cleanse and shake, it is this whole man-made system of, of, of trying to find another way to scam God's people out of what really belongs to them. And you know, I, let me just say in, in all fairness, I do believe in giving, and I do believe it takes money to support the Gospel, and it takes money to do what we're doing with television. I'm not saying anything uh, bad about that, because we need help just as well as anybody else it's the dishonesty that I think that 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 for instance you got uh, you you have to buy in other words, if you'll give a big enough offering, you can buy the favor of God. i'm telling you you can't buy the favor of God you're already in the favor of God uh, the passover offering that was given was not a Passover of a certain amount. It was the Passover offering that was given was Jesus Christ Himself, and I believe He wants to take a whip and run a whole lot of that stuff out of the church again. But what we're seeing here is, again, a first century uh, development of Him being so aggravated by what He's seeing that His Father's house has turned into that he literally has just, uh, you know, he just found himself uh, angry upsetting the money changers, upsetting the temple, I mean, I'm not upsetting the temple, but upsetting all of this stuff and overthrowing this stuff and saying, you have made my father's house a den of thieves. And I'm going to tell you, I believe he cleans house on that. And I believe, you know, I, I, but I, I think we could go into as well, and we could say this from another dimension. Because once we do realize that he's talking in the spiritual, and that we are the temple of God, he wants to begin to overthrow the areas of our life, where we try to make deals and bargain and buy our way, and performance-based religious system again, that the stuff in our lives that we try to keep on exchanging, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? I believe it's time for him to clean the house. I believe the temple of God is being purged. And so as you see this, he, he begins to cleanse this temple. It's a feast of the Passover. He made a scourge and a whip and began to drive them out. Them that bought, uh, you know, again, sheep and oxen poured, uh, poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables. And said, so just get them out of here, you know. And then he said to them, destroy this temple in three days. I'm going to raise it back up again. And he begins to take this, uh, th- this thought of the temple of God. Now I, I, just last week I was on a trip and when I'm in my car a lot I like to uh, just kind of put my Bible, I stream it through my car uh, audio portion and, uh, and I, I began to come across this section where Paul was dealing with, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick, he was dealing with the fornicator that was at Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, at Corinth. And he was dealing with a man who had uh, committed, he was committing fornication with his father's wife. And Paul says to them, you know, there's stuff going on here that's not even named among the Gentiles. In other words, you are trying to take this liberty and turn it into lasciviousness. And uh, you know, I could read it to you from uh, the message version of the Bible, Uh, where it talks about, you know, uh, he said, you know, when I come, I'm going to judge among this matter. And he starts to deal with this problem, not because he's out to get somebody, but because the whole church has not only not brought correction to it, they're almost celebrating it, as it were. I see some of that shift in the thinking of people who begin to get free, uh, you know, they think they're free under grace and didn't find out that they think anything goes. See, listen, let me tell you, if you listen to my last program, you'll say, what I begin to show you is that what purges and cleans these earthen vessels is not rules on rocks, but it is an indwelling Holy Spirit and Paul, you know, begins to describe, uh, you know, the reason he did that in the second chapter of Second Corinthians when he begins to uh, talk about restoring this man back, Is so he says, but because the, the reason he did that was because the whole church was going after that and a little leaven would leaven the whole lump. Listen to me. Under grace, anything does not go. I believe under grace we become more holy because the grace of God has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness. Grace is a teacher. Grace is not the cause of sin. Don't let anybody tell you that grace is greasy. It might be a, a, a polluted form of grace, but it's still not, grace is not what cause, matter of fact, the Scripture teaches us that grace is the antidote for sin. He said, for where sin abounds, That's where grace will super, hooper, hyper is the Greek word, hyper, hooper grace will abound where there's hooper sin. In other words, hyper grace is the antidote for hyper sin, because it's not just doing anything you want. And you know what I love, I'm glad, this dysfunctional church at Corinth is probably one that really needed to be, you know what I think I'll do? I think I will go back here to chapter one and just... um, let me see if I can find it quickly here, chapter one. I want to read it to you from the Message Bible because Paul starts to deal with this uh, this guy, uh, and uh, you know he he starts to a uh, uh, deal with this whole situation of uh, of. Uh, let me see if I can find it. It may not be in chapter one. It may be on down through here. But he he tells you why he deals with this guy. Well, yeah, I'm not finding it very quickly. But anyway, he he, he he does, tells them to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so his spirit will be saved in the day of the Lord. But he comes back in 2 Corinthians and tells that the reason to do, that he does it is because a little leaven leavens the, whole earth, uh, leavens the whole lump. In other words, if you just think everything is lawful, and even though it is lawful, it's not expedient. It's like even though you're not under law, uh, that doesn't mean anything goes. You you are under grace, and the spirit begins to be the governor. Now I will go over here and, and come back again. I want to come back where I was in First Corinthians, I believe we were in chapter 5, and show you how Paul addresses this thing again in uh, this situation. I guess this is actually, this is the chapter where, uh, let me let me read this to you from uh, the message. Chapter 5 it says, I, I also received a report of scandalous sex within your church family, a kind that wouldn't be tolerated even outside the church. One of your men is sleeping with his stepmother, and you're so above it all that it doesn't even faze you. Shouldn't this break your hearts? In other words, they're not even looking at this like it's bad. Shouldn't it bring you to your knees in tears? Shouldn't this person and his conduct be confronted with and dealt with? I'll tell you what I would do even though I'm not there in person, consider me right there with you because I can fully see what's going on. I'm telling you that this wrong you must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. Bring it out in the open and deal with it in the authority of Jesus our Master. Assemble the community. I'll be present in spirit with you and our Master Jesus will be present in power. Hold this man's conduct up to public scrutiny. Let him defend it if he can. But if he can't, then out with him. It will be totally devastating to him, of course, and embarrassing to you, but better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want Him on His feet and forgiven before the Master on the day of, ju- of, a, of judgment. In other words, the purpose of this was so that this guy, he is still dealing with the idea of making it redemptive, so that he could be able to be stand before the Master on the day of judgment. Your flip and callous arrogance in these things bother me. Can you just see some of this stuff going on right now in the American church? You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast, too, is a small thing. But it works its way through the whole batch of bread dough pretty fast. So get rid of that yeast. Our true identity is flat and plain, not puffed up with the wrong kind of ingredient. The Master, or the Messiah, our Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed for the Passover meal, and we are the unraised bread part of the feast. Now I mean, that's what he's, he's at a feast of the Passover. He's switching from telling you to look at the natural temple to seeing the spiritual temple. He said, so let's live out our part in the feast, not as raised bread, swollen with yeast of evil, but as flat bread, simple, genuine, unpretentious. I wrote you in an earlier letter that you should make yourselves at home among the sexually promiscuous. I don't mean that you shouldn't have nothing at all to do with outsiders of that sort, or with crooks, whether blue or white collar, or with spiritual phonies for that matter. You'd have to leave the world entirely to do that. But I'm saying that you shouldn't act as if everything is just fine. When a friend who claims to be a Christian is promiscuous or crooked is flipped with God or rude to friends, gets drunk or becomes greedy and predatory, you can't just go along with this treating it as acceptable behavior. I'm not responsible for what outsiders do, but don't we have some responsibility for those within our community of believers? God decides on outsiders, but we need to decide when our brothers and sisters are out of line and just clean house. Now let me come back here and see uh, uh, let me me, uh, change my translation. I'm going to show you something in the next chapter, I believe it is, where he's dealing with this as well. He goes on to talk about how to deal with law matters and so forth. And he tells them, uh, you know, he's dealing with, again, behavior all through this. He said, uh, and there's so much here that's hard to unpack all of it. He said, nay, this is verse, let me just read, this is 1 Corinthians 6, verse 8. Nay, you do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now remember, again, let me just say this, He's not saying, he doesn't say, here. they that do such things aren't going to heaven. This is not talking about heaven, it's talking about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not just when you die and go to heaven, it is the government of the Holy Spirit in your life right now receiving the righteousness, peace, and joy of the Holy Ghost. So these are areas of people's lives that violate their inheritance, because you don't earn the kingdom, you inherit it. In other words, the Spirit of God produces righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now go on, next verse says, and such were some of you. In other words, that's who you used to be. So Paul begins to shift the paradigm and he doesn't come back and say, you bunch of dirty, rotten scoundrels, you know no good for nothing, old creations. He comes back and says, he reminds them of their identity. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly, and belly for the meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now, the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Now, let me stop there for a moment, because this again, it's lawful, all things, in other words, you're not under the law, but it's not expedient. It is not productive. It is not illegal, for instance in the state of West Virginia, where I live, to kiss a rattlesnake. So if you want to kiss a rattlesnake, that's your prerogative. But let me tell you what will happen. If that rattlesnake bites you, it's going to kill you. That's how I look at sin. Just because you are not under law doesn't mean everything is, is, is acceptable to that which become of the saints. So what Paul does is he reminds them of who they are in the new creation and he begins to tell them all things are lawful but not all things are expedient because it's lawful to kiss a rattlesnake but it's not expedient. In other words there are repercussions to our actions under sin but now we don't stone people to death for adultery like they did back then. Now we don't stone them to death for idolatry. But there are repercussions to all of these things because they violate a kingdom lifestyle and what happens is you disrupt the righteousness, the peace, and the joy in your home and the inheritance that you have in the kingdom by bringing that kind of stuff in. And then he goes on to say that God hath raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His own power. And then he uses this powerful way to change their conduct. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall then I take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication, Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sins against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own, you are bought with the price, therefore glorifying in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now let me just stop and tell you that what he does with this is he tells you that the whole, he begins to use you know, the, this whole uh, idea uh, he begins to uh, tell them that, you know, in other words when he says what, no you're not, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's using this as a correction. In other words, as Jesus is walking into the temple, and He's cleansing the temple of all the pollution and idolatry that's going in there, He's using it as a picture, first of all, yes, to get rid of that whole old religious system, but He's also using it as a picture of the fact that He's come into our temple to begin to cleanse. He's, that, that, that he, when He shows that His temple, when His body is the temple. When he says, you destroy this temple, three days I'll raise it back up again, that, he's showing you that a new temple is on the scene. And then Paul the Apostle grabs that concept and says, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? In other words, It's not about some physical building somewhere, but what we also need to see is that when you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, do you think he would take the body of Christ and join it to a harlot? And he is using that to bring correction and cleanse, if you will, the church in the first century who were just finding their way through freedoms and liberties. Man, I'm so glad Paul wrote this. I'm so glad he wrote it. Because He's telling them, you yeah, listen, there are, there are things that are not becoming to saints. Not that God's going to leave you, not that God is going to forsake you, but He is also, see I think somehow we've got the idea that under grace there's not any correction. Now we may not be dealing with things in the world, but we have a right to deal with things in church, and especially among leadership. Because I mean, I think people are struggling with stuff. That Everybody, listen, from the pulpit to the door, everybody has something God is dealing with. But what he's trying to show you here is that when you start to celebrate, here's where we go wrong, is when we start to celebrate and show this stuff is alright, that's when it becomes leaven that begins to infect and come through the whole church. So there's a whole lot of stuff. Listen, I believe that we need to accept everybody no matter where they're at, because they that are sick, those that are whole do not need a physician. But when we stop saying that people in conditions of sin that are destroying their lives and the church is okay, and we start to celebrate that rather than say, no, listen, just because we're under grace does not mean there's not a standard to be held by. The standard is simply Christ. Does Christ join Himself to that situation would we, the thing you ask? Would would Christ, would you, in other words, whatever you're doing with your body, you are literally, what He's trying to get you to say, would you take the body of Christ and go join yourself to a harlot? Would you take Christ to a whorehouse? Would you take Him down and and uh, you know, uh, to to, to a house of harlotry? The answer is no, because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So everything about this second chapter is shifting you from the natural to the spiritual, and it's a different way of cleansing. And it's by filling you with His Holy Spirit. And Paul thank the Lord had to deal with some of this stuff so that we know that there is still an ongoing cleansing in the body of Christ, even under grace. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter. We're about finished and uh, out of time. And so uh, just take a moment, if you're enjoying, you appreciate what we're saying, get behind it. What you support is, is it, it will help us take the gospel around the world. If you'd like to give, you can give through text to give. You can give via credit card or debit card by going to our website. There's a place you can give one time or set up a monthly debit. You can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen. Or you can call the number that will come up on the screen and give via credit card or debit card. Go to our Facebook page, my public profile, and and like and follow us, and you'll get to see when we're doing stuff and when we're in your area. And, And we appreciate your support. God bless you. Thank you. I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you It is not about living this life out of fear, it is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules, it's about a relationship with a loving father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.